Hey there, True Believers. Before the show starts, just want to tell you this is an awesome episode of Totally Super, one of my favorites, where we talk about Kick-Ass 2, a movie that is problematic. But part of its problem is that it could have some trigger warnings for people who are uncomfortable with conversations that involve sexual assault and things like that, because the movie deals with that and we deal with it in our conversation. So um, just be, be aware it's adult content throughout. It's pretty great. It's a, a wonderful discussion, but it's worth noting that if that's something you're trying to avoid, then uh, then maybe you listen to one of our other great shows. Okay, enjoy the show. The following contains plot spoilers and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad. It's just a show. In a world where, hey, not every movie made can be a winner. Two men decided to talk about it. This is Totally Super. Hi, and welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And uh, today, guys, we're going to talk about a movie that should have worked for me better than any movie. Let me be clear. This was a movie that when I saw the trailer and the poster for it, I thought this is a movie made specifically for me. Now, there are movies out there where I felt that that's the case. There are a number of movies out there where I go, this movie is not for everyone, but this is for me. Freddy Got Fingered. Everybody hates that movie, except for me. <laughs> oh my God, I could it see you loving that movie so much. I, when they when they are trying to get the, the baby <coughs> to breathe by swinging it around by the umbilical cord and the blood's flying all over the walls, I lost my Stuff. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, 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 don't bother you. mentioning scenes. I didn't see that film. I mean, because I'm like most normal people, but you <laughs> would clearly enjoy that film. Yeah. it is. So I understand it's not a good movie, but certain <laughs> movies okay. are made just part for of the me. fun of the it. Crow is made, the Crow is made just for me. The Crow is a movie that that appeals to my, you know, my emo sensibilities, despite, you know, its problem. I mean, there there are movies that are for everyone. And there are movies that are made for other people that I don't like, but this should have been the one for me. This is a movie. It's Kick-Ass 2, of course. Mm-hmm. That that, and I'm just going to jump right into it. This is a movie that one is a sequel to a superhero movie that I not just liked, but loved. You like I said last it. week, yeah. at the time, I loved it. Now. Time has not been as kind to it. We talked about it last week and I recognized some of the flaws that I maybe didn't recognize at the time. But at the time, I loved it. It was a movie where I went, oh my gosh, they can do that? They can do that in a superhero movie? Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I loved that. Then you replace Nicolas Cage with a man who I adore, Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not going to be the last time we talk about Jim Carrey on this podcast. No. Uh, there will be at least two more times in Batman Forever and in The Mask. Mm-hmm. Um, we're at a point in Jim Carrey's career now where it is winding down from a blockbuster standpoint. We're still pre... I think we're still pre-Dumb and Dumber. Um, we're post-Man on the Moon, though. We're, we're post-Man on the Moon, way post-Man on the Moon. Yeah. Uh, we've had spotty success with movies like Mr. Popper's Penguins um, and a little known film called Fun with Dick and Jane or uh, not fun. I love you, Philip Morris, mm-hmm. um, which I still haven't seen yet, which I really want to. Uh, he, he's proven himself as an actor, but this is him coming in to do that sort of Jim Carrey comic book thing and doing a, a different kind of performance he's done before. He's not going, ha ha, Jim Carrey anymore, but he's still adding 
the Jim Carrey character. Yeah, there it. there is this a definite is a there is a definite for. layer of Jim Carrey to in in much the same way that uh, there was a definite layer of Nicolas Cage to Big Daddy. There's a definite layer of Jim Carrey uh, to the general. So. That being said, on August 14th, 2013, Kick-Ass 2 came out in theaters, and I didn't see it. <laughs> um, sorry, it's eight, August 16th. It came out. I did not see this movie when it came out in theaters. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't get out to see it. Um, it could have been that there were other things going on. 2013 would have been uh, one year after the release or the the premiere of ninjas versus monsters where there was weird stuff going on at the time that that was really obsessing me this is uh the same year that we are working on the trek off movie maybe i was too busy um i had a two-year-old at home maybe it's just too hard to get out i don't know what it was but this is a movie that i let come and go in theaters despite my deep desire to see it but I could not wait. I purchased it when it came out on digital. Mm -hmm. uh, so when it came time to rewatch it tonight, I didn't have to reorder it. I already owned this movie. I had already seen this movie. And that's where I was. And we'll talk about what my experience was watching it. But we talked last week. Had you had any... Did you even know that this was a thing, this movie, this Kick-Ass 2? Yes, the uh, I knew that it was a thing specifically because of the uh, the kerfuffle when Jim Carrey uh, before just before the movie's release uh, said that he could no longer support it. Yeah, so let's so talk that, about so kinda, Jim Carrey. Yeah, the uh, yeah, circa I will say the I will say it's interesting. So you were talking about how you know the first movie you absolutely loved, and so therefore you you know this was a movie that. Uh, that was just made for you to love even more. Um, I'm getting the sense that it did not land that way for you. Uh, what When we talked uh, last time about the original Kick-Ass, uh, I was decidedly lukewarm on it. I will say, watching this film made me appreciate the first film because there were times that I was watching the first film that I was like, ah, they kind of got things wrong here. I like, I felt like they didn't land it. They get, it was a little off the mark. This film made me see what happens when they got it seriously off the mark. And it made me go. And yeah, it was lacking some of the definitive good qualities of kick-ass one. Like the, like the whole time I was watching, I kept remember you remembering you talking about the playfulness that is inherent in the first film. Uh, and the playfulness really does for all of its subject matter in the first film, just ooze off the screen in the fights in the, you know, in the directing style and all of that. And I felt like that playfulness was decidedly lacking in this one. Uh, well, let's be in clear retrospect, about kick ass one. Go ahead. Kick ass one hits the mark. Absolutely. It absolutely achieves with with death with death defying grace and skill what it is a try what it is trying to achieve now you can decide as you did last week whether or not you like what it's trying to achieve but it's achieving it it's doing what it's setting out to do and what was that so well i think it was trying to be an ultra violent slap in the face satirical red bull to the 
gloss and glamour of the superhero genre of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can go with that. And this movie, I don't know what it's trying to be. It's <laughs> a big problem. Yep. Um, so let's talk about the Jim Carrey controversy. Uh, several months, this is from Wikipedia, several months before the film was released, Jim Carrey withdrew support for the film on account of the violence in the film and the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. Mm-hmm. Carrey wrote, I did kick ass a month before Sandy Hook, and now in all good conscience, I cannot support that level of violence. My apologies to others involved with the film. I'm not ashamed of it, but recent events have caused a change in my heart. Now, this is also Jim Carrey in the throes of his relationship with... Um, I can't remember her name now. Jenny McCarthy uh, is going on at the same time. He's speaking out on causes that she is uh, in support of, that I am not necessarily in support of. He is more socially conscious than he's ever been. And I think it's worth noting that he is new to being socially conscious, which is not something that he ever really did before. Right now, if you were to look up Jim Carrey right now, what he's most famous for doing is political paintings he did yeah. paintings above the Kavanaugh hearings. he had been paintings. against that's uh he had been against the NRA for at least a couple years before this I remember because I remember him doing a couple PSAs but doing PSAs is different than coming out as you in this sort of here's my heart and here's what my heart says kind of way uh, either okay way. we have this guy who's who's relatively new to doing this um and has a lot to lose by by taking the stance that he sta- takes, frankly. I, as a producer and filmmaker, and as somebody who watches this film, I don't think that this film is nearly as grotesquely violent as he thinks it is. Um, I don't think that, that there's anything for him to apologize really for in this film. It's almost as if he shot this film and then he watched the first kick-ass and was like, wow, that's really violent. I can't support that because there's relatively little in this film that's shocking. I fundamentally disagree. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Um, so, uh, so I guess we just should start with a plot yeah. and then get into it. Ultimately, you mind you you and I are going to disagree on on whether or not certain pieces of the recipe were correct. I don't think either one of us is going to like the pie when it's done. I think you're right. That's uh, a nice way so of putting sp- it. Spoiler alert for the end of this show. Um but again, I'm just going to uh tonight uh I was almost going to say I'm going to read this off of off of Wikipedia. Guys, Let's be honest. Normally, I can give you the plot. One of the problems this film has is how much plot it has. There's so much plot. Mm-hmm. So this is the best. This is the best that I can do. Kickass is back. Dave uh, is back with Hit Girl going out there training to be superheroes. But when Hit Girl's adopted father realizes what she's doing, she makes a commitment to him that she will no longer be Hit Girl and she will enter the world of Mean Girls instead. So Dave goes out and finds other superheroes to work with, namely Jim Carrey's character, whose name is, I just have to look it up because it's General something, Mm -hmm. Uh, General Miscasting. Um, he goes out and joins with Jim Carrey and the rest of his cadre, and they become a team of do-gooders who train and who fight crime in the city in a way that even Hit Girl and Kick-Ass weren't able to do before. In the meantime, Chris D'Amica is no longer Red Mist. He has named himself – oh, by the way. Okay, let's just talk about this real quick. Um, 
Totally Super is a podcast where we have committed ourselves to having our podcast be rated the same rating as the movie that you're watching. So if we were reviewing The Incredibles, we would be doing a G-rated podcast that you could play for your entire family. In the same way, the podcast you're about to listen to is not that podcast like the movie rated R. So if you don't like things like that, I would suggest you listen to some of our other podcasts that are for movies that are rated PG and PG-13. They're worth listening to. They're super fun. But check out now because we're going to say it. Three, two, one. Chris D'Amica is the motherfucker. His name is the motherfucker. He finds after accidentally killing his mother, he finds her S&M outfit, dresses up as the motherfucker and decides that he's going to create his own team of super villains using his money and the mob connections that he has available to him. He puts together a team with one purpose, destroy, kick ass and become the super villains that rule the city. These two worlds begin to collide as mis- as uh, as Sorry, his hit girl goes off on a side. Miss Mindy goes off on a side mission to prove herself to the high school girls and also prove herself to her adopted father. But when things go down and they start arresting all of the superheroes, they arrest Dave's dad, who's trying to save Dave from jail. And in jail, Dave's dad is killed. No longer able to deal with taking a break from being a superhero, Hit Girl returns to fight evil with Dave and the rest of the cadre, which I will I'll look up their names later on, as they get into a massive fight in the bad guy's lair. Battle ensues and at the end, poor Chris Tamikas falls into a shark tank where he's eaten. Mindy decides that she needs to go off somewhere else and Dave decides that he's going to not only be kick-ass but ultra mega metal-headed kick-ass in a sequel that we'll never see. Yeah. That's the plot. And I I, <laughs> I have to say so I have to say the uh you know based on cuz you've gotten very good at delivering these plots pretty quickly. I can usually tell uh the movies that you're excited about where you're talking about the plot, you're getting into it and everything subconsciously Everything I heard in that was Colonel Stars and Stripes, by yeah, the way. Sorry, Colonel Stars on. and Stripes. There it is. Uh, it, everything I heard in that plot delivery was, I just want to effing get through this plot delivery. I do. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about this movie. I will, I, I will come down immediately by saying, I don't hate this movie. I don't hate this movie. I you know, it's like when your parents say, I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm just disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to see Dave back. I'm happy to see Mindy back. I'm happy to be back in the world. I'm happy to see Dave's friends who that no longer include the other Quicksilver who is off doing Quicksilver. So they've just kind of replaced Todd. Um, I'm happy to hear the music. I'm happy to see the world of Kick-Ass. When the movie starts and I hear the music and all the all the trappings are there. I am smiling. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is good. I kind of like. I mean, you, we, I liked the first one a lot. You liked it a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, like, when the movie's starting, especially in, like this first like five ten minutes, like you get that feeling, like the original Kickass. You're like, yeah, this is this is not so bad. Yeah, like and this it's- is like I don't know what all the pro, I don't know what all the negative fuss was about. This is this is certainly the same. It's worth um, noting that this was you know, directed like, by somebody different who, than the first Kick-Ass. Yes. And written by that same director. Um, yeah. Um, it is directed by... Jason what else Woodlow, I think. Uh, yeah, here we go. Directed by Jeff Wadlow. 
Jeff Wadlow. Who uh, close enough. Gone on to direct. He directed the Paul Bearer. He di- no, he didn't. He was producer on those films. What did he direct? He directed the Tower of Babel, Catching Kringle, uh, Truth or Dare in twenty eighteen. He produced some stuff like nonstop. You know, it's really astonishing that with a uh, that with a lexicon of such tremendously well received films that everybody knows about, why uh, why this particular one uh, didn't do well. You know, I'm looking through this. He no, I I don't have time to get into how in the world this guy got this. Um, <laughs> he has barely any producing credits, uh, barely any screenwriting credits. Um, why would they would give this guy this this movie? Mm-hmm. I don't get it, but I look when it's starting out. I'm 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 happy enough. I'm happy to see Dave. Um, I'm immediately getting the nine hundred two one zero vibe, though. Dave is clearly like twenty seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's the first problem I have, and I think it's the the beginning of and and Mindy is like I had a problem at the end of the first Kickass figuring out why she was going to high school when I when thought she was that clearly she was supposed like, to be like eleven. Like, like she's like like yeah twelve thirty. I'm not really sure. This time, time has passed, and I I'm going to put this in a not crass way. She has developed more into a female adult mm-hmm. from where she was before, and she is hit young woman now. So she's not hit girl mm-hmm. anymore, and the charm of of little hit girl of of little you know eleven year old you know girl cursing it it's it's not there anymore it's it would be like having an episode of south park where all the guys were all in middle school now yeah like yeah. the joke of south park the joke of south park is it's these little kids saying and doing these things that's a good That's good point because cartman in fourth grade his you know his pure evil is hysterical that's part of what drives the show cartman in middle school would just be stomach churningly depressing on a fundamental level, and it's and she is not stomach churningly depressing. No, 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 not at all. But the is, the nature has changed. Yeah, it is. It is, you know, and they're shooting her differently. They're shooting her to be more attractive. Um, and it's it's they're not playing down to her youth in the way that they were. They're trying to put her in the middle of a John Hughes movie, which is, I don't think the way to go so immediately i'm sensing okay he's a 27 year old man in high school who breaks up with the girlfriend just out of the blue the whole point of the first movie again alien three rules for those of you who haven't heard me talk about this on track and i think i've talked about it here alien three rules refer to the moment in alien three where spoiler alert both hicks and newt are killed in the first 20 seconds of the movie thereby undoing the entire point of aliens and so Alien 3 rules is that you don't undo the entire point of the previous film in the first 10 minutes of this film because you just want to move on. Yeah, it was now, so, Deadpool it 2, was so very clear that um, in that scene where I said, well, okay, I had several issues with that particular scene with him uh, breaking up with his previous girlfriend. Uh, I could, gosh, the number of reasons to unpack. First and foremost, what you just said, the Alien 3 rule. It was so clear from a meta perspective that it was like, eh, I wasn't interested in continuing that relationship at all. Uh, so let's, that the writer was not interested in that at all. So just came up with an excuse. The second problem yeah, with the that problem was with that the it Alien was a terrible rule, excuse. The problem with the Alien 3 rule is that 
the, the Alien 3 rule, when somebody breaks that rule, they not only damage the movie you're watching, but they retroactively go back and make you care less about the movie you're watching. Very before, true. The, the original. The uh, So if you... If you're a cannon hound the way that I am, the way that I love the sense of one one continuity and I like to think of it as all one big world, I can no longer watch and get engaged at the end of Aliens about whether or not she's going to save Newton Hicks. Because literally at the end of Aliens, she puts them into a, a, a cryotube and they never wake up. They never wake up again. They're dead. So why do I care back in Aliens? It goes back and makes the movie before lesser. And I think that this disposing of the girlfriend, I don't even remember her name and that's bad, but that's what, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bad move. They did it in Deadpool 2, but they acknowledged it in the credits that they did it. And, and she was fridged and they talked about that controversy, but she was also, even after her death, a continuing presence throughout the film still. This is just like, yeah, we're done. We don't want to do this. So anyway, move on. Sorry, I'm going on. Sorry, you were saying. Uh, So the second issue that I had with that scene was the way in which the breakup happened, which was classic stupid trope of girlfriend overheard one, you know, the end of a conversation, got a misunderstanding from it and bad stuff fell out. Uh, Once again, going to the old trope that, People in relationships don't talk to each other, which pretty much even in not the healthiest of relationships, if somebody said, no, I understand what that conversation might have sounded like, but this was actually what was going on. Most of us would probably be like, oh, oh, okay. So, you know, so it failed on a secondary. It failed on a. She knew that he was kick ass. She knew that he was kick ass and she knows about hit girl. Like she doesn't know that Mindy's hit girl. She doesn't know that that's why they're hanging out. Like that doesn't warrant a let's step aside and have a quick conversation for a second. Like, yeah. Anyway, go on. Because there's more to unpack in the scene specifically with the conversation they have. But please go on. No, no. If you got more, go ahead. No, please. I want to hear more from you. All right. Because their their conversation was also. So So that's the second problem. The third problem is the fat is the, well, flat out misogynistic. Thing that they did with so then not only does she completely misunderstand him but then she turns around and says oh and by the way i was cheating on you too uh essentially taking her character who we discussed in the last film was not the most well-developed character in the world but it was it but was at least still like a good person like she she was the she was the pollyanna um you know the the same kind of stereotype uh, same kind of archetype that we had in Dr. Horrible of the girl who's just, you know, out at the shelter is trying to do good for the world. Um, but that was at least still a very fundamentally likable thing. Uh, so not only did they throw out part of the point of the first film, not only did they end the relationship for an incredibly stupid reason, but then they essentially, by saying that she was cheating on him, went back and retroactively trashed not only the point of the relationship, but her character as well. What little of it there was from the first film. Um, that was, yeah, and that was pretty early on. That was one of the first things that made me realize, oh God, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of painting by the numbers plot development in this. Uh, and I was not, 
uh, disappointed, or rather I should say I was. Um, another key moment for me that was similar to that was when his dad finally realizes that uh, he's kick-ass. That was a scene that took all of one minute. It started from, you're kick-ass, I thought you were doing drugs, this is much worse, to within a minute's time, um, oh god, what's his name? Daniel, David, first, first name of the character. Dave. Dave, thank you. Uh, within a minute's time, Dave saying, oh, well, if you can't handle this, then I'm leaving. I am, I'm literally moving out. I am walking out the front door. That happened in 60 seconds time. There was not remotely uh, any kind of real father-son conversation going on in that. Uh, or at the very least, or, or at the most, it was just literally going through the, hitting the surface of okay this is this is we are creating a father and son argument scene in a father and son argument scene this thing is said and this thing is said and this thing is said okay have we hit those three things okay awesome moving on i mean does that make sense because they, they don't want him to be a high school character anywhere that's the thing that they, he's they're going to grow him up they're going to grow him up right now mm-hmm. he's just going to grow up right now and he's going to and here's the thing that but for those of you listening going you know what because a part of me goes when i was in high school i might have done something like that when i was 17 i might have done something like that yeah but you know what you do the next scene you have is him agonizing about it like oh my god what did i just do or even i can like, guarantee there's, there's very few people who go from a great relationship with their dad to walking out the door in 60 seconds it's the the, nothing about that was so you're absolutely right it was not addressed appropriately after the scene but nothing in that scene was earned either well i think that i think the problem you have is that there's a temptation to do these sort of things right because you're again you're you're trying so hard to move the i don't want to say the story forward but the situation of the characters forward that the plot forward i guess is that you're willing to do these things. Now there's another movie that I guess you can call a template for it that people have had problems with, but it's actually does this well where they just dispose of everything else. And that's a nightmare on Elm street four. Now nightmare on Elm street four, for lack of a better, just don't go all into it. But the first half hour is Freddie disposing of all of the characters from nightmare on Elm street three and moving on to new characters. Um, that the, the thing with that is the, those are horror movies. Yeah, those that's, are characters that's forgivable that in the genre. Are, yeah, those are characters that are. It's meant to bother you that you're seeing them die. That's the whole point. And there are ways to do it right, and there are ways to do it wrong. Nightmare Four did it right on the line between the two. I can point to movies like Halloween Resurrection, where they kill Jamie Lee Curtis in the first twenty seconds of the movie. Shh, that never happened. Halloween comes out next month, and she's still alive. It's fine. Um, there's like like there are ways to do it and ways not to do it and the problem is is i feel like they want dave to be in the world not in high school not his dad's they want dave to be in the world Mm -hmm. no girlfriend um his friends of course are both going to be crucial to the plot um but they they want this thing and they need to like shave off it's like a haircut the way that they're getting rid of some of the things that were important in the first movie and the things they're getting rid of is what made me like the first movie. Him and his dad, I liked. Him and his girlfriend, I liked. Him as a high school kid actually being the one doing this, I liked. Yeah. You know, the, and it's interesting no, that they're when making no such no longer a- those things, he's 
They're making such a big deal about bringing David into the real world while at the same time they are focusing on uh, bringing Mindy into high school. So if they were trying to say, well, that's we what can't it make was? this, a, you know, this isn't a high school movie anymore. It actually was arguably more of a high school movie than the first one. Do you think when he was writing the screenplay and, you know, I'm sure he worked with the studios, he was writing the screenplay. Do you think he said, you know, what we need to do is we need to take Dave out of high school so Mindy can be there because if Dave's there, he's going to have her back. Like, is that what they're doing? I don't is, know. I, I don't know what they're doing. It, here's the thing, though, right? If you take him out of high school and you put him in the real world, it's not the charm of a high schooler deciding to be a superhero. He's just shitty Batman now. <laughs> That's all he is. He's sh- He's just shitty Batman. So here's the let's. Um, so okay, let's talk about the real world because and actually, uh, you remember how I was saying how in retrospect this made me like the first film more. Um, I was thinking a lot about what you were saying with the playfulness of the first one. You're right. The first film is a gleeful slap to uh, to the you know to the sparkly superhero films. Um, it was satirical. It was a bit of a send up. Um, yeah, sometimes I thought its message was a little, uh, was a little cloudy, but at the end of the day, it was, it was fun and it also wasn't taking itself too seriously. And that to me is key, uh, because this film took itself way too seriously. Um, you know, it's, you and I were talking after, uh, you know, when you, when you first, uh, came up with ninjas versus zombies and you said part of the reason for the title was because you said you wanted somebody walking by it in a blockbuster, uh, which oh, that's a send back uh, to look at that title oh, and Captain immediately Marvel know there. Sorry. <laughs> and immediately know what kind of film it was, which was a film that did not take itself too seriously. Had I rented a movie called ninjas versus zombies and got something where they were saying, well, we were just trying to show you what a real contest between ninjas and zombies would be. I would be fundamentally disappointed in that film. And that film would be called ninjas versus vampires. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Most I'm sort of kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, and so like, so this is what I was talking about with the, vi- like, yes, there was less gore in this film. And we're talking about the violence. Um, there was less physical violence in this film. Um, there was a lot more emotional violence in it. Uh, I was trying to, so I was watching yeah. it. I, I, I was trying to watch that. I was watching this. And Do we want to talk about the scene. Do we want to talk about the scene? Cause I think it's the scene, right? There's one scene. There's, there's two, there's two for me. Um, but, right. uh, well, for, first let me just, uh, before we get into this, and then I'll let you talk about the scene. The, yeah, I was watching this film and, I was just feeling there's just movies sometimes that just make me feel just kind of like sick to not sick to my stomach, but just kind of bled like, uh, I'm not just, you know, not disturbed essentially. And it was not, and I'm watching this and I'm, so I'm feeling that and realizing this movie is making me feel just kind of nasty. And because I knew I was going to be reviewing it that uh, tonight, I said, okay, well, let me see if I can try to figure out why that is. Because here's the thing. I clearly have no problems watching violent films. The current TV show that I'm totally into right now, Attack on Titan, uh, which is anime, which is brutally violent to begin with, is about humans fighting for their lives against uh, massive giants that 
eat humans in horrifically gory ways. The body count in the te- in my favorite television show right now is astronomical. So clearly, just the aspect of their being violence isn't bothering me about it. So that so which made me ask, okay, so what is it about the violence in this film that is? Uh, and I have some thoughts on that, but Can first, I you go ahead and talk about the scene. Well, I don't talk about the scene yet, but I want to unpack one thing that I'm immediately recognizing with this film. It doesn't have that. It doesn't have that that indie feel that the first film had. And just from a from a from a a filmmaking point of view, and I think this is believe it or not part of the problem is that this film, despite some terrible green screen here and there, feels like a by the numbers like from a cinematography standpoint a by the numbers a mid budget action movie mm-hmm. film and the problem with that is that in the first movie and i think that you part of what you're feeling here is a subconscious reaction to that the first movie had you know i'm thinking about the scene where hit girl shows up starts killing everybody and they're playing punk music in the background and things are yeah. really really fast and the shots are not the shots are not actually like quote unquote professional looking this director from the first one wanted to do the kingsman's the kingsman movies and one thing you'll notice in that he's using fisheye lenses they shouldn't be there there here's he's like in people's faces in a way cameras don't do he's you know what i mean he's mm-hmm. he's he's doing angles and doing editing and doing things within that film that f- make the feel- film feel pulpy. He's having fun. And this film, this film removes the pulpiness. Yes. So from a completely subconscious point of view where you, even if everything else about the film is as good and it's not, but even if everything else about the film was the just basic way this film looks, there's no shot in this film that would look anything different than any other shot in any other action movie there's mm-hmm. nothing about it that, that would make it stand out at all even when it's trying so hard to do the stuff from the first movie it's not it's not doing it it's every every shot is competent you know what and you're making the me first film had you're totally right had, had shots that some people might call incompetent but we're just wild, you know. They're okay. So we talked about ninjas versus vampires, and we joked about it real quick. Ninjas versus vampires has a couple. A lot of people like that film best of the films that I've made. It's the film that had the widest release. It's the one that was on Netflix. Um, that being said, the issue with ninjas versus vampires is twofold. One, we really started trying to shoot in a more professional way. Now it does, it still looks like a super cheap film. Monsters looks a lot pricier than than the first two. The reason that some people still dig Ninjas vs. Zombies is not just because it's the one that takes itself the least seriously, but because it has sort of a clerksy vibe to it. Sort of a, these mm. guys just went out and, and, and effing did it. They just went out and did it. And, and, and this is what you got. And there's a whole movie feel to it that makes it, and there's a, there's a sense almost of that in the first Kick-Ass. Yeah. This film is so competently made that it lacks all flavor and charm. It has gone from a, a a weird little restaurant down the street where the where the cups are not always clean and and occasionally your food is undercooked, but damn do they have the best salsa you've ever had to an Applebee's of of filmmaking. Where yeah, this is, none of it's bad. It's all it's here's a word that you know I hate. From a filmmaking standpoint, it's all fine. Yeah. 
and that's the problem. And There's I think just nothing. The, so, and if this were, if it were a different story, if they were dealing with a different subject matter, I would be fine with a fine film. But uh, because of the subject matter that they are dealing with, by making it just fine, I actually feel like, and you've heard me talk about this before, there are some stories that when you are not careful are actively detrimental. Um, this, this, this film is not as bad as something like Death Wish, uh, you know, which encouraged vigilantism to a degree that it actively, I believe, actively made the world a worse place. Um, this film is not that degree, but it's starting down that road. Um, and I think it's because, well, let me get into the, you were talking about the sort of the pulp pulp is a great word for it. Um, pulp is, it's sort of a playful, cheap, but not in a bad way, uh, version of mythic, um, pulp fiction, which Tarantino did. There is a lot to that, that goes, there, there's a mythic nature to that. There's clearly archetypes that we're watching, even though it's got this sort of gritty, dirty feel. It pulp fiction is no more realistic than, you know, a movie about Hercules. And we inherently understand that. Um, and talking about just, you know, and the superhero film genre in general, by and large, not all the time, but by and large works best in the mythic realm um, or the pulp realm. Um, and yes, Every now and then you'll have a superhero film that says, well, no, but we want to take superhero and we want to make it realistic. And that is a very dangerous, that's a very hard road to walk, even when it's done by the best. And this was not one of those things. Um, and what I mean when I say and it's, it's a sequel to a movie, it's a sequel to a movie that did not try to make it realistic yeah that's the joke it's the movie of what would really happen if there was a superhero in the real world and the real world has to be pulpy in order for that to work yeah and so here's the thing there's a there's a genre of film that that if you don't know filmmaking the name's going to put you off but it's called an exploitation movie an exploitation movie is not necessarily sexual exploitation although that can mm -hmm. be a part there's you know you go if you go see Ski School 3, it's going to be about fart jokes and tits. That's that movie. And that's, you know what you're going in. It's just to exploit this thing. If you're all going mm -hmm. to go see a, um, if you're going to go see Death Wish is in its own way kind of an exploitation movie. It's like you're going into a movie theater just because you want to watch heads blow up. Saw is a great example or Hostel is a great example of an exploitation movie. Um, there are exploitation comedies. There, are the, the whole idea is you're going in just to see Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just saw that on a screen movie. And there was an element of that because those movies were made, you know, primarily in the 70s by directors who didn't have a lot of money but wanted to have enough of a selling point to get people to to get eyes on their on their screen. They mm -hmm. wanted to make a movie and what did they have? They didn't have stars and they didn't have big budgets, but they could pay a couple of topless models and get a bunch of red paint and do Blah, and they could at least make a movie that would be seen. That's called an exploitation movie. And that movie, you know, the the big budget version of that movie, you could say, is um, is the Grindhouse films made by Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, yeah. where they tried to go back to that expo exploitation movie vibe with a big budget and a major cast. Um, and 
And so that is there was an element of that to the first Kickass. Uh, no sexual exploitation. There's almost nothing sexual at all in the first Kickass. But mm-hmm. it's just like we're going to put a gun against somebody's head, and that head's going to explode. Yeah. And wow, look at that! And there's like the minute you take the filmmaking away from that feel, suddenly it's 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 much more like an exploitation movie is ironically less exploitative in that you know what it's there to do yes it's just there to do and to be this thing that is you know it's the junk food of it's the junk food of movies and 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 that's just what it's there for when you have a movie that is going no it is the we're gonna do the applebee's of movies and also here's all the same exploitative things that you might have had in that other film it's the tone changes. It's it's a subconscious tone. It's just in the filmmaking, and that's this guy's problem as a director. We're going to talk about his problem with the writer um, yeah. and some of the choices that are made. The, uh, you but know, the irony is the, the the irony is by the first film by being so playful and so pulpy uh, in its answer to the question of what would happen if a superhero or if somebody in real life tried to be a superhero, they actually did a halfway decent job of answering the question, which was you're going to get, you know, your ass handed to you a lot. And in fact, the only way that you're going to have a prayer of succeeding is by becoming a cold blooded killer. And that is actually a halfway accurate answer to the question. Um, this film has no idea what the hell the answer to that question is at all um the well let's break down this film yeah into let's break three down three major stuff. plots it's three three major plots mindy in high school um dave and the group i forget what it's i, I forget what it's called now justice I, I, forever I just looked it up you guys are gonna think this is this is the podcast where justin forgets uh, justice forever is the name of the group um and then chris's plot in i want to tell you the name of his group because the name of his group is the Toxic Mega Cunts is the name of, of Chris's group. Now, can I tell you, that's a hilarious name. That's a great name. Did they ever say that name in the film? They said it once. And once? it like, was and the way it was delivered, it was so clear that they were like, oh, this is gonna be so shocking and funny. It's look, here like here's the thing. Using the big bad words, um, are you know that we think of there is a way comically to do that with with absolutely hilarious results but make no mistake it takes just as much skill to be funny delivering that than it takes to be funny while keeping your language pg the problem you is there's a lot the problem is there's a lot of people who don't realize that you and i have written our share of comedy and the way that you do this is you keep saying it yeah, over and over and over again to the point where it's ridiculous. Yeah. Clerks where, was a, you know, per, like where, where Kevin just, Smith nailed this. Clerks was amazing yeah. uh, in, in its dialogue for this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's start with the easiest plot to, to unpack, which is Mindy's plot. Mm-hmm. Mindy has to quit being hit girl because she doesn't want to lie to her. To, okay. Again, I don't have a huge problem with this th- that aspect of the plot, except that it's rote. It's totally rote. Made a promise. Well, right now, 
I'm watching Arrow and spoilers for Arrow for what's happening right now. Oliver has a family member who knows that he's the Green Arrow and this family member has asked him to please not do it anymore so that they can focus on they can focus on repairing their estranged relationship. And and Oliver agrees and then what happens is that situations keep arising where it's necessary for Oliver to get back into the hood and be the Green Arrow and he has to lie to this family member in order to do that and you as the audience you want him to be green arrow but you also don't want him to do that Mm -hmm. and that's the plot that's it's so rote i'm watching it literally right now on a tv show and it's so i it's you as a writer you are serious and you, you put it real you are seriously writing yourself into a corner when you do that because on the one hand yes you're you're absolutely right we of course want green arrow or whatever the superhero is to continue on the other hand we we get the whole dude you got loved ones asking you to give this up um like you're making the writer you're you're making the audience torn as well um the you know honestly what film handled it well was mystery men because that was one where the shoveler uh you know, his wife said, I'm going to leave you. You know, if you go out tonight, I'm not going to be here when you get back. And he heard that and understood and was honest and straightforward with her and said, I understand that. I don't blame you. I still have to do this. There was no there was no sitcom deception. There was no any of that. It was just I understand that's the consequence. This is the choice that I make. It's a it's a standard comic book trope. It really is. Daredevil has said it a hundred times to Karen Page over the years back when he could. Um, uh, oh, too uh, Mary soon? Jane, uh, Mary Jane, and uh, the, I'm, the show might not go that way. So you know, it's, it's I, you know, I, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, Mary, Mary Jane, and Mary Jane, and uh, and Spider Man. Mary Jane has always been like Peter. Don't go out, Peter. Don't go out. Please don't go out. Don't do it. And then he doesn't, and someone dies, and he feels like he. He has a yeah. response. I mean, the Spider-Man movies did that, where he's being torn between being Spider-Man and being Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Like, I I get the trope. The problem is, is that one, I don't care about Marcus. Two, I don't see anything positive in their relationship. I don't see their relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, I, and pa- Marcus is is a good guy, good enough dad, but I like I don't see their relationship like her relationship with Big Daddy. I don't. I I'm not pulling for him at all. Yeah. And three, when she finally does decide to go back and do it, like there isn't a moment either of I'm growing up and this is what that means. And I have to do what I'm like. They, they they give it lip service, but it's really only because she feels like she has to go do it. And then at the end of the movie, when she rides off in the sunset, she's just leaving Marcus behind. There's not a sense that she grew up, nor is there a sense that he's like, okay, I'm okay. You, you go do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. There's n- none of that. There's just, there's just a... a a, a weak echo of the already problematic scene with Dave and his dad yeah. it, with her and Marcus. It's so, so that's what gets her into the situation. But the real situation is, is that Mindy wants to be liked by the popular girls at school from an emotional standpoint. This is the only plot that I cared about. <laughs> like, like it's, from an emotional standpoint, it's not my favorite of the three plots, but this is the only plot that I like I really wanted her to like when the girls were being mean to her, that bothered me. It bothered me what they were doing. Like, and it, 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 again, 
I feel like I saw Don Summers do this already, but like, didn't it seem like sort of a, 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 a middling sixth season episode of Buffy? Well, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it's what you say again. It was a wrote by the numbers. So like there were, there were a bunch of different genre films going on in this movie and all of them were by the numbers. And this was an absolute high school. Uh, this was a high school drama where, you know, she learns to, you know, first she tries to fit in with the popular crowd, but then the popular crowd turns on her. So she learns to, and I am, I can't believe I am saying this, quoting Dave in the film. I cannot believe Dave said this. She, she wins by learning to be herself. You literally cannot get more stereotypical than that. Um, and here's the, uh, here's the reason I'm into it. Chloe Grace Moretz can sell the pain in her performance. Mm-hmm. She can, she, she, while I'm not into her as hit girl, I am in very much. And, and again, the, the comparison to Dawn Summers is it's right there. It's on the surface. Um, she can sell how much it hurts, how scared she is, how excited she is to go on her first date with a boy. When that goes bad, you know, she can, she sells that really well. And the girls they chose to play her nemeses do the job well enough. They're, they're about as convincing as Cordelia and her group, but minus the really good dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the only one where, and maybe it's because I was, you know, as I've talked about before, I was bullied in high school and I've got, you know, I've got, I'm the, the parent of a tween now. Um, so I feel the pain that she's going through. I can relate. I guess that's why it's the only one I can relate to. Mm-hmm. And because I can relate and because Chloe Grace Moretz is, is doing a, a fine job with what she has to work with, I am emotionally compelled and I am grinning at the ridiculous way that she get she wins against these girls. How do you feel about the poopy the poopy vomity resolution? Um, I mean, on the one hand, I love that stuff. I know that. What? Yeah. Well, yeah. But here's the thing. On the one hand, I didn't. The only thing that I really minded about it was that, just like every other aspect of the film, it felt juvenile. Um, it 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 felt like it was low hanging fruit. Um, the, which is not always bad. Had, here's the thing. Had that scene happened in the first film, um, done in the style of the first film, I probably would have absolute, I probably would have actually loved it. Um, it was just sort of, yeah, I mean, I, I did, I didn't hate it. You know, it didn't jump out at me either. I liked watching those girls get their just desserts. Like I did. I I liked watching them get punished. Yeah. We like seeing, we we love seeing the queen bee or the king douchebag get their comeuppance. That's, that's, that is the fun of the high school, of the high school movie genre. Which is why I say I'm compelled by it because a, I cared enough about her and I disliked them enough that when they got their comeuppance, I was satisfied in a very base way Mm -hmm. of like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like them. I do. I have, more my not liking them is more feeling than I had for a lot of other characters in this <laughs> film. So, so ultimately, that that plot resolves with her feeling like she needs to go back and and be hit girl again, and having two scenes that are trying really hard to be the scenes from the first movie and failing. Um, but that is her. Do we have anything else to say about 
about Mindy's plot? Uh, not really. Okay. So let's talk about what was my favorite until a point. My favorite plot in the movie, which was, I can't believe I'm saying this, but McLevin. I yeah. think that I think that he is absolutely capable in this role as the motherfucker. Absolutely. I well, and like Chris D'Amico's character or Chris, the character of Chris D'Amico arguably had the biggest arc of any character in this film. But he felt like in the last film, in the last film, he felt like he was McLovin transplanted into Kick-Ass. Mm-hmm. That's how he felt. Um, this is something different. This is something new. Yes, he is playing against the he is playing against the type that he is supposed to be. It's sort of like like I get that, but it is he is doing a good job. John Leguizamo is always wonderful, mm-hmm. um, giving a really understated performance. That when he is gone, I it, I'm bothered by it. Um, I don't even remember his cousin who is in jail. The guy from Game of Thrones. Um, did his cousin ever get punished for killing Jane, John Leguizamo? Okay, so here's the thing. His cousin, who I freaking love that actor. I've seen him in a few things, and he's great every time. Um, the screen, Game of Thrones! <laughs> yeah. Well, Game of Thrones, uh, Downton Abbey, uh, there's a lot. Um, he, The screen lit up when he first appeared. I was like, oh, awesome. Because not only was it the actor, the character was great. Um, and... That was the. It was chilling. Old, it was just chilling it was, it was the way that he killed. Wonderfully chilling. Um, the, and I guess it's like, I mean, the scene did its job in terms of compelling Chris D'Amico's character to go to the next level of his arc. Um, but yeah, I wanted to see that. But yeah, there were. It felt like there was a loose thread there. It also felt like you gave. Oh, you just gave me a really great character, and now we're never going to see it again. Okay. Yeah, it's like he got no. Like, am I just misremembering? He doesn't get a comeuppance. We don't even hear that he got hurt for what he did, right? No, we 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 literally like, after after Chris D'Amico says thank you, you've showed me what I need to do, and walks out. That is literally the last we hear of him for the rest of the film. Did we not need to see that guy get murdered? Like a little that, bit. I mean, honestly, that, it would have made if Chris D'Amico's character had figured out a way to have him murdered, then it actually would have made that a better villain character. Um, now, here's the thing. He, I will I will grant. I think it's possible that what the film was trying to do, because one thing that one thing that Chris D'Amico stayed the, the whole way through, even as he became a villain, was he stayed an adolescent teenager Um he what we saw when he became a supervillain was not actually truly somebody coming into their own and finding an identity it was what we were watching was somebody you know it was a douchebag teen with unlimited resources deciding to take all to take all limiters off that's not i mean what we were watching was a you know was a teen in his rebellious phase with literally no limitations um and which that's it, a, and i was i was into this plot one because i felt that the toxic mega cunts um it, they were clever i liked that mother russia that, that's pretty funny okay yeah. i got that and her character her character was imposing and the violence that she does is the only violence in this film that feels a little bit like the first her character was the pulpiest um, of the film yeah yeah. Um, the other people he assembled, I can't even remember who they were. I think that doesn't speak very well for the film. 
Um, but he like like I was into his story, watching him go down the tubes and occasionally be not understand how to be bad all the way. Um, and just going further and further into his darkness, uh, the murder of Colonel Stars and Stripe, which we'll get to when we get to Dave's plot, um, I thought was really like, like it was upsetting, but it was, you know, disturbingly enough. And then we get to the scene that I called the scene. The scene, yeah. Um, where he decides to attack Night Bitch, who is a woman in a suburban neighborhood with a suburban house that seems like it should be. A house for a family. It's like a family home, but I don't see a family, so I don't know if there is one mm-hmm. of those involved. Um, I don't know what's involved because, it's, frankly, she is just there to be these things that she is. She's not like how compelling would it have been if she was like somebody's wife and this was the way she was stepping out, or if she was someone's I mean, look, mom the, that she had to deal with. Or at the end of the day, like it's that even though she's not killed, she is fridged and much more uh, like she is arguably well and let's be let's be super clear let's be super clear she only exists to begin with to be a to be something i don't want to see a sex object she's not that but to she is there to make dave more than he is and then she's here to inspire this thing to inspire but like she like there isn't even an interior you get into her house the literal interior of her house and there's no sense of interiority yeah it is literally like we shot this in a house um but they get to the room and he decides in order to upset kick ass he's going to rape her now we talked about the crow and we talked about why rape is not a really great idea in a movie for reasons other than to make i think the only reason you use rape in a movie is to make it so that the female character who is raped has a a character thing happen to her, right? Yeah. That's and, the reason. And, if you're doing it to... And in the movies where it is appropriate for that to happen for the story, I can guarantee you virtually none of them are going to be in that mythic sort of realm that we're talking about for most superhero films. Like, there are certain not things... The la- not, there are certain not things... Not in the that, last 15 years. Say that not again. In the last fifteen years, I think that I, I'm saying not in the last fifteen years. Yeah, like I'd say fifteen years ago, you would see it in movies. You see it in The Crow. You'd see it in, in movies where it's like you know, you know, the, the woman gets raped and murdered, and you know, they just threw around the term "raped and murdered," right? They they, they would just throw that around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it is now it is now understood that you that you don't do that. We're we're living in a post leaving Las Vegas world, right? You like like you mm-hmm. you. You can do it in that movie because that's about what that does to her. Um, it's a delicate subject, no matter when you do it. I mean, there. At the end of the day, there are certain things that can exist in both legends and the real world, and then there's certain things that really can only, at least in our emotional state, exist in the real world, and that's. That's one of them with, I mean, again, there's exceptions to everything, but by and large, that's one of them. So here's, I'm going to, I'm going to, again, I don't know why I'm on a Freddy kick, but I'm going to call out the the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street, which is a film, gorgeous film, really very pretty film. And I'm not going to blame its failure on necessarily the new guy playing Freddy, who is great. We'll talk about him when we do Watchmen. 
I'm going to blame the that film's largest problem on the idea that they made Freddy an overt child molester. Now, which Freddy was cha- creepy. Which changes his character fundamentally. Yeah. Now, there was a hint that maybe the, there was a sexual energy toward him, toward the kids. And there are other movies. In Freddy vs. Jason, he's licking the pictures. There's something, you know, rapey about him, but he wasn't a full-on child molester. Now, I listened to a review of that movie that said, okay, let's go there. Let's do that. Let's have Freddy be a child molester and child murderer, and let's take it dark. Let's make it the darkest film you can think of. Let's take Freddy and make him the worst to the point where when you leave the theater, he's Hannibal Lecter. You're thinking about like, like, oh my gosh, Freddy is is awful and terrifying and grotesque and I'm going to have nightmares about him. The problem is, is the film still wants you to have fun in the nightmares by how visually inventive they were and how action-packed they are. And by the end, Freddy's even cracking jokes. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is what film are you watching? Right. Because the film wants you to have fun and also be disturbed. And, and so jumping you can't off do those that, two things at the same time. Yeah, the uh no, that's a you're I mean that's a that's a total dichotomy. And so talking about this scene, what um one of the things that sort of sets it apart from other generic um generic uh, assault scenes of this nature are you know, so they play the little joke of he unzips his pants and then has a hard time getting it up. Um, and so they play. So again, it's it's continuing the joke of, oh, I'm trying to be an evil villain, but me just being an awkward teenager gets in the way of it. Um, and of course, she makes a, she makes a, a penis joke in the middle of it. Yeah. And it's a penis joke that Two. is just the most predictable, like, again, low hanging fruit. Um, it's. I mean, so here's the thing, the, you know, you and I, we both love the art of the undercut, the, oh, this scene is going somewhere and then suddenly it gets undercut the, uh, I mean, you know, it, Joss Whedon's the master of it. Uh, that's one of the things we loved about it. Um, but again, it's, there are certain times which just like, this is no, you, we should not be going for undercut humor when we're dealing with this kind of subject. Um, and you know, it, it, yeah, you make a good down. point. They're about to, they're, they're about to rape her. And if you could turn the camera around, he has his dick out and he's about to rape her. There's no version of that. Nothing can happen in that scene that makes that scene funny. Yeah. That scene's not funny. doesn't matter if you can't get it, get it up. And then she's of course tortured. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's, it's not. And it's at that point that I like. I still like Mother Russia. I don't even want him to like. Yeah, I just I, I I don't even say this one out loud. If he had been successful, I would even desire his destruction. But I don't even desire his destruction. Mm-hmm. I don't like him. I'm no longer into his story because he's crossed a line that I can't get over, and that he's about to rape this woman. He was not successful in doing so. So I don't have that visceral thing I had with the crow where I just wanted all those guys just to die horribly. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm back to ambivalence. I've it's, checked out. Emotionally it's the difference. It's the, the difference the film- between, it's the difference between Voldemort and Dolores Umbridge. There are some villains that we love to hate like the, yeah, we're waiting for them to, to, 
to have their downfall. And then, and you, and it gives us an emotional payoff. We're like, yeah. And then there's some people that just, ah, uh, everything about them just, just makes us feel just shitty. And we don't want like, then there's, you know, like Voldemort is a character that we are, we are actively looking forward to his downfall so that when he is on the screen or on the page, we're still into the story and enjoying it. Umbridge is a character who just fundamentally depresses you. And so when she's on the page, you're just like, I just want to get through this scene as quickly as possible just so that she's off screen. Um, but what if you what if you had Umbridge and, you know, and in the middle of the height of the stuff that's really bothering you because Umbridge is an amazing character. In the middle of it, she suddenly had the farts. Like <laughs> Yeah. You're right. Like, that would that would arguably like, make me even matter. You'd be like you'd be like, I don't even hate you anymore, Umbridge. I just like I don't mm-hmm. I, I I liked watching how awful you were, and now like you're not even that awful. You're just distasteful. Yeah. Just distasteful at this point. And yeah. and and it checks me out. You know, I'm glad the Mother Russia stuff's happening outside in that scene because she's still, I like what she's doing. Although again, we're murdering a bunch of cops and mm-hmm. it's not as fun to watch them murder a bunch of innocent people. Well, and That's not that so, fun. And here's what's happened. And it really did happen at about this point in the film because again, you're, had we been watching, had we been watching in the first film, had we been watching a scene where Mother Russia murders a bunch of cops, um, it's, the uh, because of the because of the nature of the first film, because of that playful, pulpy nature to it, we would understand this is a there's sort of an ab- an abstractness to this. We are meant to appreciate the creativity of the violence, um, and that's clearly what they were going for with this Mother Russia scene. But they had literally just come from a scene where there is no way you can appreciate the creativity of what they're doing. Um, and then well, after and I'm gonna that, take, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to take it a step further because you're also having, this is violence against police in a suburban neighborhood. Mm, and the true. problem I have with this is one of the things that they do really well. Um, and I don't know what the difference is, but you know, when they have a, uh, you get the sense that these are just like local cops. These are just like regular guys who've shown up, mm-hmm. and they're they're th- the violence is shot as gleeful, but she's murdering innocent people when she's doing it. Yeah. So again, I don't know how to feel. Like it's it's like they're they're so the movie Total Recall in the movie Total Recall, there's a firefight that happens. Uh, between Arnold Schwarzenegger and a bunch of other people. And in this firefight, in this firefight down an escalator, a bunch of innocent people get hit and fall down dead in the middle of this firefight. Firefight. And and in in the context of that film, when I'm watching it, I'm always sort of taken out, like going, Holy, holy shit. Like that's a that that's just a dead person. That person was just that's and awful. Honestly, there was I mean, there was a lot of the eighties, a lot of the films from the eighties had that. I mean, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. The, uh, you know, not only is this film painting by numbers, but it's painting by numbers with a coloring book from 1983 and it wants to be RoboCop so bad. Like, doesn't it, it, doesn't it want to so be bad. RoboCop? Yeah. Um, it's not RoboCop. It's RoboCop two. It's not even RoboCop two. It's like RoboCop three. It's not doing it. Um, there, the, again, and in those films, 
the idea was the that violence was horrific, but her violence is meant to be hit girl. Her violence is meant to be hit girl attacking the thugs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why it would be better. I, and it wouldn't be better because I know people who are actual federal agents. I actually know federal agents. I live near Washington, D.C. I know people are federal agents. If it had been random guys in, you know, black suits with sunglasses showing up, you know, that like, like there's something about the faceless, nameless version of that that makes it slightly more palatable. And mm-hmm. I don't know why. And it's not okay I, because I, but I know no, people I think who you, are in the Secret Service and they're awesome people. But I but think you might be hitting on like, something, though, in terms of uh, what's, you know, because as we say, we reach. You know uh, what you said about like, um, you know the scene with the uh, the scene with the attack of Night Bitch. Um, it was just like you know for the past fifteen years that sort of thing hasn't been okay. Um, I mean, really, what we're saying is no, it was always bad storytelling, but we've only sort of just realized it. Um, in the same way, in the past couple years, uh, I think violence involving police, either police being attacked or police attacking other people that has also gone into the realm of, yeah, we can't have abstract fun with this anymore. This is, we can still do scenes with this, but these are going to be realistic scenes with realistic consequences and anything else is kind of irresponsible storytelling. Um, I think we might be reaching that. I think we might be reaching that point with cop violence in general. It might, it would be like watching mother Russia attack a bunch of of troops their u.s troops out mm-hmm. there like like it, you would not you could have her do it and it would be upsetting and disturbing but you're not supposed to think about that when this scene this scene's just meant to be fun you're not supposed to think of those cops as people yeah but you kind of do they're meant to be set and, pieces. And, and maybe if this if this fight had happened in the city maybe i would have felt differently even but it's the putting it in the in in your local neighborhood there's That's something about it that is just it's just so it's everything like like kids play on that street like there's nothing about that that everything about the scene that and i'm enjoying what she's doing it's really clever like what she's doing is really cool but mm-hmm. it's in the context of the scene we just watched now this i'm not having as good time so let's get to dave's um, yeah, the uh, so Dave, really, one of the crucial things in Dave's plot is the third strike to me against this. The third strike, which to me said, OK, this film was not just bad. It was actually kind of socially irresponsible. But go ahead. So I'm going to jump in and say Colonel Stars and Stripes. I don't think Jim Carrey has anything really to apologize for. Um, uh, Jim Carrey, despite the lethal violence he's willing to use, he's not willing to to do gun violence he's careful about like he wants to make sure that there are bad guys he goes over the top and and he's just he's about he's almost like good daddy but he's supposed to be a place for good daddy and he is sort of he's good daddy bad and that and that in general i'm with him there are things i'm not with him about that really upset me but i you know when he dies i'm i i feel for it that that part the rest of it the, there's a couple in the scene that they're out there because they have a missing kid, a kid who's missing. Ha ha ha. Yeah, and they're and they're, <laughs> they're kind of shirts. meant to be. They're meant to be the butt of their own joke. <laughs> like, oh my my kid's missing. He's on my shirt. That's what we're out there doing. Ha ha ha. Isn't this fun? Isn't this fun? Missing children. Hey, fun kickass. So that like like I. The day the biggest crucial problem I have with Dave's story is just, it's so rote that it's kind of boring. 
Um, Dave joins up with a bunch of other guys. They're inspired by him. He's inspired by them. He starts a sexual relationship. Uh, the, you know, the, the mentor who's taking them just a bit too far gets killed, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi style. And so it's now his job to go avenge the now fridged girlfriend that he had and, and, you know, bring everyone decides it's not okay to be a superhero, but then when the chips are down, they all come back and everybody fights and there's a big fight at the end. Mm-hmm. And and Chris D'Amica dies and he you know, he dies by being eaten by a shark. And that'll be the last point that, that we make is is that death. But but the biggest problem I have, and I and I and I'm interested to hear the 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 issue that you think is the third strike, but my biggest problem I have with this plot is it just frankly it's not that interesting. Like if you really look at it, here's Dave's plot. He joins these guys, they train a little bit. They break into a place, fight and kill some bad guys. The Colonel Stars and Tripes is, is killed. Dave, Dave's dad dies for him. There's that aspect. I cared about that. But again, it was probably the most moving part of the film for me. But eh, Here's, like by the end, not that much happens. And okay, so what's your what's what's the third strike? And, and that that was the third strike for me was his dad. And here's why. Because his dad had actually just done something like... This is a movie where a lot of the heroes don't really do anything heroic. They keep talking about making the world a better place, but really all it was about for the first half of the film was, hey, look at our super cool costumes and this awesome lair. And um, his dad does a real like legit fatherly thing. You, you are right. You actually care about the dad. And when the guy, when the tough guy showed up in the prison, I thought, oh, crap, they're going to beat up his father. Um and then, the, but the fact that they went to killing him, um, I'm sure the writer said, "Oh, this is really." I mean, they fridged his dad. Um, I'm sure that the writer thought, "Oh, this is really gonna, you know, this is gonna amp up, you know, kick ass into, um, into going further, and this is really gonna make the audience like feel the pain of it, and you know, and really di- and really uh, hate the motherfucker." Um, in that now, scene. I did feel the pain of it. I, I did. Felt, I was bummed. Yeah, I was super. But well, that's the thing. I was deeply disturbed. I felt the pain of it. I didn't end up hating the motherfucker. I ended up hating Jeff Woodlow. Like, I didn't hate the villain. I hated the writer because it was unnecessary. It was, it was, it was kind of cruel. I mean, here's the danger with killing off characters is as a writer, you need to understand that. If I'm doing so, like if I'm writing a terrible event that happens to a likable character, that is going to have an emotional effect on the reader uh, or on the audience. That that is the point of it. But because of that, I also need to acknowledge, like, at, no writer should want to fuck with the audience's emotions just for the sake of it. No writer should want to depress the audience unless they are really trying to make an important point behind it you know schindler's list was not in any way a fun film but there but the reasons behind that film made you know the amount of disturbance and horror uh that i felt watching that film completely justifiable because of the point that it was making there was literally no point to his dad being killed um, he was all, you know, it's I, like, I, I want oh, to take it. It was meant to emotionally, you know, kick him into gear. It's like you literally just killed his other father figure, um, you know, and assaulted his girlfriend. Like, yeah, we know 
that, you know, there's a bone to pick. You, it was just, well, it was too much. The thing. Here's the thing. Killing his dad. And I, and I get what you're saying. One, it's a movie called Kick-Ass. And the fun has now been taken out of it. It's now a, a straight up grave revenge. It wants to be the Dark Knight. Yes. Um, I think that there's a world. One of the rules is that, look, you can kill as many of the heroes as you want. You really can. And it's interesting at the end of the film and the big battle at the end, none of the heroes died. And that mm-hmm. would have been a great place to have kind of an upsetting death, right? Yeah. That would have been a place because was the heroes who are in the battle are, are you do kill those sometimes. So you magnificent seven, you kill them all the time. Like it's, it's yeah. in aliens. You killed most of the characters you like. If you watch that movie, like most of the people you like in that film die over the course mm-hmm. of the film it's it's a it's an it's a way to move the audience and move your main character forward but this is the the long-suffering dad who's just always tried to do the right thing for dave who's not like it's it's you know he's murdered in jail when he was trying to do something heroic and dave has to watch his dad die and then go to his funeral and have the funeral get attacked and everybody get shot at his dad's funeral. Ha ha. Isn't this a fun little satire? Like, mm-hmm. like I was, and I, I'll call it out in ninjas versus monsters. I fridge too many female characters, but I kill main characters all the time. It becomes very clear by the end of the movie that that movie is, is, is despite its being partially a comedy it is a magnificent seven situation like, and also like those characters people, those were characters who were in the fight they weren't innocent bystanders yeah, yeah this is you know and again captain stars and stripes he's not killed in the fight he's murdered mm-hmm. he's murdered we just watched him get murdered yeah and but i mean but he's but he's at least he's a, not a he's not a quote-unquote civilian no, but but at the time he is and this is what i mean he's not fighting when this happens He's at home with his dog. He's, a, he's an old dude at home with his dog in that scene, and he's murdered. Then his dad is murdered. And Night Bitch, she's not in the fight when she's attacked. She's mm-hmm. at home. She's at home, and she's just attacked and, and nearly raped in a bedroom in her home. This is not the same thing. If you were to have, you know, if Batman goes out with Robin and Robin dies in the big battle at the end or he's you know he like that's one thing if batman goes out and fights with robin and then robin comes home and he's oh that was that was a you know what what a day and and you know and then he's suddenly murdered graphically and then alfred is too you can't make it a fun movie anymore mm-hmm. and you could that's still make problem, it a totally movie, appropriate it, batman movie i mean it's essentially what they did in the killing joke but there was nothing about the killing yeah. joke that was fun. So what we got is is a movie that that what I loved about Kickass was the glee. At the end, you have the fight, and again, I'm gonna say that that Hit Girl versus Mother Russia, it, the fight is not shot well or choreographed well. It's not doing it for me. The big mm-hmm. battle is too chaotic, and I don't really know everything that's going on in it. There's almost nobody that I care about anymore in that battle. I cared about Night Bitch a little bit, and I, you know, I don't I, like. I just, mm-hmm. I'm not getting the sense that I really care about anything that's happening uh, in the battle. The the him versus Chris at the end, you know, my I'm going to ruin movies for you, Arthur. My buddy Josh, who you would love, by the way. Um, shout out to Josh. Uh, Josh pointed out to me that he has a problem, and he pointed this out at the end of Mission Impossible Two, where the bad guy 
has been so bad that they should die. But the good guy decides, I can't kill you because I'm the good guy. And then the bad guy turns around and does something that makes the good guy kill him. Because it's the, the writer wants to keep the good guy a good guy, but still needs to come up with the creative. But at the same time, the it's the audience wants the bad guy to die. So we're going to kill him. But we don't want to sacrifice the good guy's inherent goodness. So we're going to come up with yes. a creative and twist. It's so obvious at the end of this. You know, it's is it the end of Batman? Yeah. But it, was it supposed to be a funny surprise that he fell into the water and they got eaten by the shark? Because I a, clearly saw the water was below him. So when he's like, I lived, it wasn't funny. And then when the shark got him, I knew that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't funny either. So what? I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling. There was, the there was literally and only one aspect done, to, that, to that thing that, that actually kind of worked or that could have worked in a different scene or different film. If it hadn't been water beneath him, if the fall killed him, the fact that halfway down, he suddenly goes, wait, what the hell, you know, suddenly snaps back into reality in that moment and has that realization of what the fuck am I doing? But that's not funny. That's killed. disturbing. That really bothered me, actually. But, and no, and that, so here's going, the thing. Here's, the, here's how really this movie, I, here's how, the, so I'm watching this film and at the very end, it looks to me like the message that they're trying to get I'm actually livid at this film because I'm just like, son of a bitch, you might actually almost kind of make it work. And I don't want you to work as a film. I want to be able to say I dislike everything about you because of how just shitty you've made me feel. Um, so the thing is, the the message, you know, even the line that uh, David has is, did I actually make the world a better place or did I really just finish something that I started? Like if and in that moment, I'm thinking okay, if this film, if all the shittiness that we've been feeling and everything is really just this film's way of saying, not only can you not be a superhero in real life, but you will make things worse if you try. You can make a strong case for that point. Um, And like, if that had been the message of this film, I still would have hated a lot of it for poor execution, but I would have been willing to forgive a bit more about it. Um, And... And if that was the film you were making, the moment where, uh, you know, where Chris D'Amico suddenly realizes what's going on before he hits the ground, that yes, good, that should disturb you. That continue because he up till that point had been playing the villain, um, instead of ah, but thinking no, about he goes into a shark tank, yay! Yeah, but and but so here's the thing. But then the film finishes with a shot of. You know, the film finishes with this speech of him saying, you know, this world doesn't need, you know, you shouldn't be superheroes. This world needs real heroes, which awesome. Good line. Very good line. Uh, But then the final shot of the film is his is him working out in front of a wall full of automatic weapons. And it shows the costume in the it shows the metal helmet in the beginning. So what they're actually saying with, with big triumphant music playing. So what they're actually saying is after they raise the question, oh, did, you know, maybe I didn't make the world a better place by being a superhero. Maybe none of this would have happened had I not put on the costume. So I'm going to double down and like essentially it, <laughs> the movie came so close to almost having a halfway decent point and then completely did a 180 and said, you know what? We're actually going to go further into 
uh, into not cool territory. I'm going to, I'm going to jump back to the Chris Tamika fight at the end. Cause here's the issue that I have one. I'm not loving anything that hit girl has done in the film from a hit girl point of view. Uh, her fight on the van was so clearly green screened that mm-hmm. I had a problem. That's what problem I have with sequels and sequels got to make it bigger, better, brighter. Um, it was so clearly green screen that it had any, lost any of that awesome visceral feel yeah. that the first one had. And this fight at the end against Mother Russia, again, she wins by this bizarre, like it, it was. It's almost like Chun Li doing a move in Street Fighter where everything's in slow motion and she's just grabbing glass out of the air and do, and it's it's whose idea was this? Mm-hmm. Like it's there's nothing there's nothing about it. I watch her get. I watch Hit Girl just get punished, and then she does this move that's not satisfying at all. There's nothing satisfying about what she's doing. But at the very end, at the very at the very least, I'm like, oh, here's the thing, Chris Tamika, and then Chris Tamika falls, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he realizes he's going to die. That's that's upsetting. I'm now not happy about him dying. Mm-hmm. Like that's the reality of it makes that not fun. Oh, they're trying to make it fun. Yeah. Oh, now he's being. Oh, we're supposed to think that's fun. But I don't think that's fun now. It's like the it's like the director deliberately chose to do the things that would make me just not like it. There's no liking it. There's no, oh my gosh, that's upsetting to think about because the shark is funny. But there's no laughing at the shark because it was just upsetting to think about. And mm-hmm. so you end up in this situation where you just don't like it. There's nothing to like. There's nothing to appreciate. You're neither disturbed nor enthused. If you look at the end of the first movie. Kick-Ass pulls out a bazooka at the guy who's caused so much pain and distress. Shoots the bazooka, knocks him out the building, and the guy explodes. He explodes. He was a bad guy. <clears throat> he did bad things. He was about to do something really bad. And in trying to do something really bad, he has to face, you know, he has to face Dave, who gets a giant bazooka, and boom, pwah. That's awesome. In this film. You have Chris, who is not actively doing anything bad at this point. It's just at the end of the big fight. He's not doing anything except fighting Dave. And at the end of fighting Dave, he falls, realizes he's going to die, turns back into the kid that he was before, realizing the error of his ways, falls down, almost lives and gets eaten by a shark. It's not, there's nothing satisfying. It's just Mm -hmm. a bummer. Yeah. So I, you know, I hate to ask this question, but. On a scale of one to five dual vomiting poops, what would you give Kick-Ass to? Okay, so, uh, oh, actually, no, because I was listening to our previous podcast. You need to go first on this one, sir. Okay. All right. Um, I will say this about the end of Kick-Ass 2. Despite everything that's happened, I wanted a Kick-Ass 3. I like the world. I like what... Mindy could be was not in this film at all, but clearly Chloe Grace Moretz still could do it. I mm. like the idea of Kickass becoming an actual badass and like coming into his own as a. I want to see what a real superhero in the real world could be. Like now that he's no longer a superhero in training, what might it actually look like if you were to put Batman? into a if you were to put batman into a postmodern sort of scream world where 
where the world is aware of itself and is self-referential in between. I think there's a world where a kick-ass three could have examined, okay, he is a badass. He can do all the things that Batman can do. But since this movie is commenting on that as well as being it, I think there's a way that that could have worked. I would have loved to see a kick-ass three. I like the world. I like the music. Um, the da, 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 da. It's the been music, in my again, head ever since the movie's been great. done. Um, uh, not as good as first, but it was okay. No. Um, I like him in the role. I like Jim Carrey's performance. I we didn't even talk about his performance very much. Um, yeah, it was dug it. There was a layer of Jim Carreyness, but it was so it was almost like Truman Show it was so understated. You keep yeah. waiting for him to do the big Jim Carrey thing, and he never does. Mm-hmm. And I liked his energy, and I I was sad to see him go. I liked the team enough, minus the people looking for their their kid. There was a mystery men aspect to it that I liked, mm-hmm. and you know how much I like that film. Although you could call it derivative of that film, um, I liked Night Bitch. I liked the first part of Chris D'Amica as the motherfucker. So, if we were to take out the rape scene, and we were to if not spare the dad, not force Dave to watch his dad's dead body hung in the cell. Mm-hmm. And if we were to have the movie end in such a way that Chris is really doing something bad and gets his comeuppance, you know, like, like, like in this case, they fight, they fight, they fight. And, you know, he gets blown away by, you know, by a dildo gun up his butt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, like yeah. something extreme. Blah! I would have given this film two to 2.25 stars or poops because mm-hmm. I like the world and I would have given it right down the middle. It was, it's a rote and, and it fails in doing some of the things done, but I like the world still. I have enough goodwill coming from kick-ass into the film and the film does enough, right? That I'm enjoying the film. I am enjoying this film. 65% of the time that I'm watching it. That should be enough for a 2.25 stars, 2.5 stars. You, I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it half the time. Here's the problem. If I ate half a piece of cake that I really enjoyed, mm, I love this cake, and I'm really enjoying it, and the parts of this film I did really enjoy, and I get into the middle of the cake, and I take a bite, and there's something crunchy, and I look in the cake, and I see in the other, in the next bite of the cake, there's a, a, an uneaten half of cockroach in the cake. And then I realize what the crunchy thing in my mouth is. It doesn't matter how many bites of that cake. It doesn't matter how good the rest of that cake was. That cake has been destroyed. So I like Colonel Stars and Stripes, but then his death is just kind of upsetting. And I like Dave and his dad, but then his his dad dies. And I, and I like Mindy enough, but everything about that. I liked her about hit girl is gone. And all the stuff in the school that happens is, is just wrote. I really liked the motherfucker story until he becomes a fucking rapist. Mm -hmm. I, this film, uh, I'm going to give it one and a half stars and I'm giving it the half because I still like kick-ass. I still wanted a kick-ass three. I've heard there's going to be a kick-ass TV series. I love that idea because if if watching the Daredevil movie turning to the Daredevil series and watching the Punisher movie turn to the Punisher series tells me people who really care about the product can turn what was a mediocre film franchise into a really interesting television franchise. Very true. So I'm excited. I'm excited about that. But this film is sometimes it's a travesty. Most of the time it's just a bummer. And that's a movie that's called Kick-Ass should not be just a bummer 
So yeah, that's, yeah. that's I'm going to give it one and a half. Oh, that's very apt. Um, well, I will say I'm actually kind of over the the whole course of this conversation. I've been kind of relieved to hear the things you've said, and here's why: the uh, you know me. I have said before that I am a. I, I believe that lots of what goes into whether or not we enjoy a film, while you know a good portion of it has to do with the quality of the film. A lot of it has to do with what was the mood we were in when we saw the film, what were the conditions of seeing the film. Um, and so as I'm watching this and I'm like, am I just disliking this because I'm watching it on my phone, like in the middle of the day and it's been a bad week overall. Um, is that the reason why I'm disliking this or is there like, no, is there something like, so I came into this podcast thinking, uh, maybe I'd give it a 2.5 um, because I, you, again, you know me, I like giving people, I like giving things the benefit of the doubt. Um, but yeah, but it, over the course of this podcast, I started thinking, you know, maybe a two is closer to it. Um, and now I'm even closer to a 1.5. Um, so I would say somewhere between a 1.5 and a 1.75 for exactly the reasons that you described. I would not... I wouldn't give it a one, but that's not so much because of, you know, any loyalty to the character or anything, but just because for the same reason that I want a five to really mean something, a one is no actively the world is a worse place for this film having been made in a noticeable way. Um, or the industry is worse. Like you needed to have, like this film appeared was terrible and faded away. Um, as well it should have. I'll tell you this. Frankly. If this were not Kick-Ass 2, I might give it a 2 because it's competently made um, mm-hmm. sometimes. Sometimes all the Hit Girl screens are actually ridiculously badly done. But the issue that I have, it's interesting. It's 1.5. I will probably watch this film again someday, which I can't say about other films I'm going to give a 2 to because there are some films that are just forgivable. You know, when, we, when we get to you know, you know, the 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 second Punisher, the second of the three Punisher movies that were made. Um, uh, I will probably never watch that film after we review it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just nothing like there's no reason to uh, this film. I like kick ass a lot. I get really, really do. And sometimes you got to watch your characters do stuff like the nightmare on Elm street remake. I will probably watch that again. Despite my problems because you know, I will eat my cockroach cake if I really want cake. Um, mm-hmm. And, and well, especially I if like you know, if, if like you know Dave. the cockroach is there and you can eat around it. Yeah, I like Dave and I and I like Mindy and I like their relationship and I enjoy watching them on screen together and I like the music and like so it's good to see them again. It's good to have more of them. It's like Star Trek Five, Arthur. Star Trek Five is it's not good. It's not a good movie. It's hard to watch. Um, or Star Trek Insurrection again. It's not very good, but I watch it. Because Star Trek Insur- like I my want- Star Trek Insurrection was a wonderfully pleasant two-hour episode. Like, I think it's it, a, it's, it, it, it it's wasn't a, a movie of it, everything that like, was good about Star Trek, but it's yeah, it's the worst. I hate it. <laughs> um, but I'll watch it because I like watching those guys do stuff, mm-hmm. even if I don't like the stuff they're doing. I like watching them do stuff, and yeah. and but it, when I think about what the film tries to do and what it achieves. You're better off folks. You're better off. Just don't watch this. Yeah. Just watch kick-ass and enjoy your memories. I would actually say, yeah, kick-ass 
know what you're getting into with it. Know that it's pulpy. Know that it is violent and gratuitously so. But yeah, if you're into that sort of thing, absolutely, Kickass is worth seeing. Um, I would agree. This this is definitely one that you could skip. Yeah. Um, and not only that you could skip, actively skip it. Mm-hmm. Actively skip it. A yeah. movie that you could skip is a movie like ah, oh, there's not like they like Fantastic Four two. It's all right. It's pretty good, I guess. You don't need to watch it. Um, but this is a movie that you actively skip. It will. It is not a two part series. It's a good movie with a terrible sequel. Yeah. You know, <laughs> a know, terrible sequel. Fierce that creatures let's be honest, to a should, it, it should not be rewarded for. You know, don't don't reward it with your views or your three dollars. Yeah. So, so that's kick So that is it for Kickass. As we so often say, I can't tell you what's coming next. I feel like we got to do something big. Um, Venom's in theaters. Uh, I'm interested in seeing it. I'm maybe we'll, maybe we'll, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out to see it, frankly. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if this is going to, yeah, I don't know if Venom's necessarily going to be one that necessarily, I mean, we're definitely going to review it at some point, but I don't think it necessarily yeah. needs it's to be. It's a big hit. Is it? It's yeah, it's it's like it's people. It's got thirty two percent of Rotten Tomatoes, but it's like a big hit. Um, so like that's that's a thought. Um, there's let us know if there's something you want us to see. There's so much to come. I mean, there's so much Batman. We still still haven't gotten yeah, to. You know, you know what? what I mean? Actually, like, we haven't. Even- I wonder. I I'll actually say because this was suggested to us. Um, let's let's go totally wild. Um, we have just what we have just reviewed is a film that was terrible but not so bad that it was actually enjoyable. Um, let's review. I think somebody, uh, I won't say this for sure, but somebody suggested Condor Man, which is an, like an eighties film with Michael Crawford, Michael Crawford, who was the first Phantom of the Opera on Broadway. That's pretty much what he's known for. Um, he's also Cornelius which, in Hello, Dolly. <laughs> oh, very true. Um, it's his but, voice you hear at the beginning of Wally. I, and yes, that's true. And I do, I remember watching this film and I remember this film being just terrible, but in, in, in a kind of a fun way. So that might be a palate cleanser of a sort. Um, yeah, Condor Man might be way to go. I also would love to, to, to see the, the old Fantastic Four movie, the terrible old, I've never seen it. The, oh, the which Roger one, the uh, Fantastic Four. Oh gosh. The, uh, which is. It's the movie that that, that only. The, it's a movie that the producers knew were never going to be re- was never going to be released, but the actors did not. When um, was this one made? It is again, up, like in nineteen ninety. Oh my gosh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it's never been released. All right, we, that's it. We've said it. The Roger Corman Fantastic Four. I've never gotten all the way through it. Gosh, it, we're gonna have to f- work hard to find that one. Oh, I, 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 I promise you, I will. We will find a way. We'll find a way. <laughs> and how about this? We don't have much coming up. Let's do this. We haven't done a trilogy in a while. Would you like, let's do all three Fantastic Four movies. Oh my God. You are insane, sir. I know. We'll just go from, look, that one's terrible. The first Fantastic Four is mediocre and the second Fantastic Four is okay. So, all right. Let's go for it. It's like, it's like, it's like reverse X-Men trilogy. It's like reverse. Chris Evans is in it. There's that. Chris, (laughs) Chris Evans is the human torch. Um, but not the Roger Corman one. Can't wait. All right. Roger Corman's Fantastic Four is next. There. We figured it out. I can't promise the other two Fantastic Four, but Roger Corman's Fantastic Four is next. It's okay. going to be a fascinating watch. I'm going to do some research so on it if be. I can. And then, yes, 
Condor Man down the road. Condor Man's, Condor Man's on the docket to, just uh, because, hey, somebody recommended it. So we're, we, we, we got to go for it. But eventually, I think we're going to have to come back to movies that people know and like and watch because we're like, Mystery Men, Kick-Ass yeah. 2. You know, I mean, yeah, well, so, so after <laughs> Fantastic Four, maybe we'll sprinkle in some of the, the classics that you know people have actually watched. Yeah, it's like there there are 18 Marvel movies. What are you guys doing? All right. So for <laughs> now, my name is Je- my name is Justin and my name is Arthur. Oh, right. This is we we've been going for a while that uh so you I know, know I've forgotten the fa- I, it's worth <laughs> no it's worth noting we disliked this film enough that this podcast is longer than most of our most of our podcasts because we were talking about yes. how much we disliked this film. This film is better. This podcast is better than the film that inspired it. Okay, my yes. name is Justin. And my name is Arthur, and despite bad movies being out there, hey there, true believers. Stay super. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Light Entertainment. 